Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Favorite Things. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Burdett, here with my lovely wife, Batsy. Hi! Um, so, been a long week. Uh, we were actually debating whether or not we were going to record mm-hmm. uh, this week's episode uh, tonight, or if we were going to wait until next week, but here we are. Uh, so, week and a half, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of rough stuff, yeah. all, all around, all kinds of things, but... Um, Let's let's get right into the fun stuff this week, shall we? Sure. So, uh, I have played and beaten Spider-Man Miles Morales on the PlayStation Five. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm playing a few other things on there right now. Uh, overall, uh, review of the machine. It's phenomenal. Uh, if you've got uh, of disposable income and you are really into video games and you're looking for uh, a high-end video gaming experience, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, It is fast. It is uh, really neat. It's a little big. Uh, The machine (laughs) itself is. It's it's about the size of an old-school computer tower. Um, But uh, honestly, the form factor has grown on me. It's it's a cool little machine. The games are top notch. Uh, I would easily call Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales one of the best entertainment experiences I've had in the past couple of years. Uh, probably one of the best video games I've played in a couple of years. Um, but even as a story experience, this year we didn't get a Marvel movie. This year we didn't get an Avengers or a Spider-Man or even Black Widow. And this felt like a Marvel movie and it had the right scale. It had the right intimacy. It had everything just right. Um, I don't know if we'll do a deep dive full episode on it at some point. I would love to. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not, but the, the short version is it's amazing. Um, I highly recommend it. If you have a PlayStation four, the game is available on there. Go play it. Uh, the story alone is well worth, uh, experiencing just phenomenal, phenomenal storytelling by Marvel Games uh, and Insomniac uh, Studios. So outside of that, we've watched a bunch of YouTube videos. We've been enjoying some uh, other movies and sitcoms, finishing up news radio. Yeah, that's been a fun one. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to like, as we're about to enter the Christmas season, I do not, I'm the person that does not believe the Christmas season should start until Black Friday. And uh, that's that's me. I know a lot of people are already itching to get it out there. But I'm looking forward to the cheesy, romantic Christmas movies. Um, To be fair, though, cheesy, romantic movies are just kind of your thing. They are. Whether Christmas is involved or not. But there's something about the Christmas ones that just kind of take it up a notch. And to me, I'm like, I don't know. It's a... I would argue there is something that is intrinsically romantic about Christmas as a whole. Yeah. Uh, to to the point where I think Christmas makes for a great backdrop. I think of the most romantic movie ever and best Christmas movie ever. You oh, no. know yeah, what I'm talking about. I know what you're about, about to say. Die Hard. Die Hard is yeah, no. the most romantic movie ever. No. It is about a man fighting to get back his wife. And he does it and brings back the spirit of Christmas for all of these jaded corporate types <laughs> in 
uh, on West Coast America in the 1980s. It is a beautiful, touching yeah. film. Yeah, you can where, you believe in that. Where Bruce Willis teaches everyone the true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Christmas movie. It is the best Christmas movie. <laughs> and I will, I will fight you until I have dementia to yeah. tell you that it is the best Christmas movie. I know, movie. there is a handful of people out there who think that it's a Christmas movie. Have I seen that movie? Did I watch it? You have movie? never seen okay. it beginning to end. I think I've seen bits and pieces of it. Yes. There, but anyway. No, I just, I like the cheesy romantic that this would never happen. Countries made up for the sake of their movie, kind of. That's in Die Hard. Whatever. <laughs> not action fighting packed. That's not my cup of tea. Okay. I'll edit together a super cut of everything that's not fighting in Die Hard. <laughs> It'll be a two-minute movie. It'll be a five-minute movie. All right, it'll be a five-minute movie. But anyway, I am looking forward to it's all that. It's a beautiful With movie. The, the season coming ahead. Uh, so all kinds of good lead-in for that. Had a great birthday. Um, and so yesterday we watched uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And very similar to Order of the Phoenix, this is one that I don't remember that much. Yeah, I didn't remember um, it at all. And as a matter of fact, when I do our plot here in a few minutes, I'm probably going to pull up Wikipedia just to make sure I'm hitting all the high points. <laughs> um, it's it's one that honestly is deceptively simple in film form uh, because out of all the movies we've seen so far that felt like theme park rides that had a through line, this felt like a film that had a plot that was kind of point A to point B to point C mm-hmm. with with an A plot and a B plot. And I think there's a case to be made. I know fans of the books don't like it because it diverges so much from the book, Mm -hmm. but as a film, it might be the best Harry Potter film, even better than Goblet of Fire because beginning to end thematically it works it it works as a journey for harry it works as a journey for ron it works for building the relationship of ron and hermione yeah it works in a lot of ways uh to set harry up for his final conflict with voldemort and it's i don't know it's really well done uh I remember talking about the score in the past couple. This one was kind of an understated score that actually kind of worked for this movie. There are some musical motifs, specifically uh, Harry and Jenny's theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the musical theme works even if their chemistry doesn't. Um, <laughs> uh, there's uh, some themes for kind of the ominous nature of what's going on in this film. Uh, the I think the biggest surprise of this movie for me was that uh, Draco Malfoy had an incredible arc from beginning to to the middle to the end of this film. Um, the one I've got a couple of nitpicks, and we'll get to them when we get to the movie. Um, but I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Uh, now that said, will it be the one that I rush to watch? I don't know. I. I think I watch all of these in order whenever we rewatch them. Right. So I don't know that this is one that I'm looking forward to because it's not 
It's not Goblet of Fire, which is the it is the beginning of the downhill drop into the action, into the conflict. Um, it's not Prisoner of Azkaban, which is a great standalone movie. Right. It's uh, this one is is a middle film that if it existed on its own, I think it would work, but I don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I mean it because it the way it even ends is kind of you know. There's more to it coming up. Yes. So it, and it this, couldn't work as a standalone. I think it could in some ways. I think yeah. in others, there is a lot of setup in this movie. This, in a lot of ways, feels like a, a prologue to the next film. Mm-hmm. And I really look forward to the next film because of that. Because I really enjoy the last two parts of this film franchise. Yeah. Um, but this... When did this one come out? So this one was supposed to come out in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, due to reshoots and trying to get visual effects correct, uh, it did not come out until 2009. Okay, so this is one... You took me to the theater to see this nope. one, correct? No, we did not see it in theater. I'm tra- I was trying to remember... I have seen approximately two of these films in theaters. Okay. I saw uh, Goblet of Fire... Uh, in the theaters with an ex-girlfriend <laughs> and I saw Deathly Hallows with you and a couple of family friends. Okay. Um, Deathly Hallows part one. We didn't see Deathly Hallows part two because I think we were busy with all kinds of stuff. I started a new job, all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but it's... I was trying. I was just trying to remember what ones because I know I've seen them all, but I like you didn't remember this. I don't remember this. And I don't remember anything about the the last few episodes. I'm I'm really looking forward to next week. Next week is effectively an action movie, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, this week's is very much. Um, this week's had a lot more action than I remember. I remember this one being kind of slow and methodical, but when action pops, it pops. Yeah. So we're gonna take Sorry a about it. we're gonna take a brief break, uh, and then when we come back, we're gonna get right into the plot of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. So, to get something out of the way, right away for this film, uh, the last movie started, or ended, with uh, Voldemort being outed uh, in front of the Minister of Magic. Everyone knows he's back now. So, uh, you would think he'd be kind of a big presence in this movie, right? Right. Yep. Not really really at all. Uh, As a matter of fact, Ray Fiennes appears in one briefest of instance in a flashback uh, from a footage from a previous film. Yeah. Uh, and most of this movie has very little to do with the modern uh, Lord Voldemort. So, uh, as we start the movie, we start with the Death Eaters just on the rampage. And they are out. Uh, they're causing damage in the Muggle world. They're, uh, they're just causing all sorts of damage in Diagon Alley. They 
destroy Ollivander's wand shop and kidnap Ollivander, um, which will come back in the next movie. Um, uh, a lot of groundwork is laid in this movie for the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all of this is going down. And we meet Harry at a coffee shop where he's reading a Wizarding World uh, newspaper, even though he's in the Muggle world. Yeah. Which is kind of irresponsible. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Like, he's being a little bit careless here. Well, to be fair, uh, that's kind of a theme with Harry and these movies. If Harry wasn't careless, these movies would have been over in like three seconds. <laughs> um, but we, we get to... Uh, this coffee shop Harry's flirting with uh, a server and uh, Dumbledore shows up and says hey uh, we need to go Harry's like "Ah, do we really she's real pretty Dumbledore's like yeah we really need to go (laughs) and so whereas in the last movie Dumbledore was very standoffish with Harry did not connect with him at all this this movie he constantly touches base with Harry and uh, it's almost like he's rubber banding from where he was in the previous film not having contact at all in this film he's every time he makes a plan he lets Harry know everything Um, but they go and they meet uh, Professor Slughorn uh, former potions master and the former head of House Slytherin played by Jim Broadbent and I absolutely adore Jim Broadbent in this role. Uh, the first thing that I can remember seeing Jim Broadbent in is uh, in The Borrowers, the 1998 film The Borrowers. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that movie. He uh, was Pa. Uh, interestingly enough, Draco Malfoy, uh, Tom Felton, was P. Green the little boy borrower in that film. I don't remember the little boy borrower. At some point we will watch this movie. I remember I didn't like the borrowers. That's fine. I'll watch it again with you. See, I don't know what. I don't. I enjoy cute, imaginative kids movies. If, if they, if they use their setting well. Yeah. I remember enjoying it very much. It might be a terrible movie, (laughs) Uh, but I remember. I was also 18 when it came out. So you might've been too cool for school. I I might've been too cool for school. Uh, But I, I very much enjoyed that movie, but uh, that's what I remember uh, seeing Jim Broadbent in. uh, And then I had a nice little Harry Potter connection there because as uh, the great Matt Myra says, there are only 20 actors in Great Britain. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, as we get back to Hogwarts, uh, riding on the train, Harry knows something is up with Draco Malfoy. We've learned in the meantime, separate from Harry, that he has been sent on some sort of mission from Lord Voldemort. Uh and it has something to do with a cabinet and Professor Snape, who has taken something called the Unbreakable Vow. Yeah. This movie is very different pr- from previous movies in that we actually get some insight into the antagonists uh, and get to see what they're up to. Um, doesn't really happen in any of the other movies. Yeah. One of the things is we were watching it and he made this Unbreakable Vow for Voldemort I'm like so is Snape 
a bad guy because even though he always had that dark side, he was still always a good so, guy. So the vow was not for Lord Voldemort. The vow was that he was going to be Draco's second. In a, in a duel or in an action, a second is someone who, in the event you are unable to complete a task that you are sworn to do, mm-hmm. your second will complete the task for you. If I challenge someone to a duel and chose someone as my second, if I'm unable to continue with the duel, my second takes over. But the fact that he made this promise knowing that it it was for, you know, something that Voldemort wants done. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, where does that put him? Does that put him on the good or the bad side? And the answer, as with a great many stories, is it's complicated. Yeah. And we'll un- unfold some of this as we get uh, down to it. Uh, gonna go ahead and spoil uh, the big spoiler of the movie, which is the titular Half-Blood Prince is Snape. Yeah. Um, and honestly, as a moviegoer, this film is the most mistitled film of any of these why uh it is mistitled because the half-blood prince plotline barely factors into this movie Mm. literally the only time it really comes up is harry finding the spell and uh potions book uh in professor slughorn's office Uh finding that it's signed by some emo teenage kid who calls himself the Half-Blood Prince. And then at the end, finding out that the person whose stuff Harry has been mooching off of has been Snape the whole time. Yeah. It If the mystery was threaded more through the movie and the book, um, I don't remember how it's threaded into the book. I've never read it. Um, <laughs> but in the movie, it it's literally two, two points. And... It, it's a nice callback, but it doesn't really, it's not the central conflict of the movie. Yeah. The central conflict of the movie, it would have been better titled The Vanishing Cabinet uh, because Malfoy's uh, journey through the film is he's got this cabinet that he puts things into and they vanish and things come back. And his through line, uh, plot line in this movie is struggling with this task that he's been assigned by the Dark Lord. Um, another one would have been uh, Harry Harry Potter and uh, I don't know, bad chemistry. Uh, <laughs> because his chemistry with Jenny Weasley is really not great in this movie. Um, as a matter of fact, Daniel Radcliffe has more chemistry with every other female actress in this movie more than he has with Jenny. He has more chemistry with Hermione. He has more chemistry with the random girl at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. He has more chemistry with the girl who's trying to put a love potion on him. Uh, He has more chemistry with Luna Lovegood, uh, the manic pixie dream girl. He, He has zero chemistry with Jenny Weasley. And yet the movie thrusts them together as love interests because it's what the book is supposed to do. Yeah. And it's one of my scruples in this movie. It doesn't really work. I've now mentioned the two that come uh, to mind the quickest. 
Another one that's a little weird is the fact that they recast uh, the role of uh, the girl who's uh, the rival for Ron's affections over Hermione. Um, it's, and I'm blanking on her name, uh, Lavender Brown. Uh, black actress in the first couple movies uh, recast as white actress in this one. Mm-hmm. Kind of weird. Kind of off. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Um, so getting into the plot at, uh, at Hogwarts, we start witnessing that everyone's a little off. Everything in the wizarding world has kind of been turned upside down since Voldemort is back. Are you supposed to be at school? Are you not? A lot of political upheaval. I don't know. It seems kind of familiar just overall (laughs) thematically, except uh, this isn't Great Britain in the 1990s. Uh, This is uh, in the wizarding world. This is 2020 in real world USA. Um, But everything has an unsettling feel to it. Uh, Both the cinematography uh, the score, everyone's performances, everything is just kind of off. Uh, and so the whole movie plays out with a couple of exceptions, like a if you just set a high school movie at a school where they learn to do special power uh, magic tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is the biggest as far as movies go, the the biggest display of what a year at Hogwarts looks like. Yeah. And so uh, we get Quidditch matches uh, where it actually looks like they're wearing athletic guard uh, instead of just wizard's robes. It, uh, we get, um, we get awkward courtships uh, that go very badly. Uh, Lots of teen drama. Lots and lots of teen drama. (laughs) Um, And, the whole movie is, uh, it's a great high school movie. Um, but Harry's a plot through this whole thing is that, uh, he's effectively been assigned to, uh, get into the inner circle of professor Slughorn. And his plot line through this movie is gaining Slughorn's favor so that he can get a memory, a very specific memory of Tom Riddle, uh, one of Slughorn's, uh, star pupils. Slughorn's propensity at the school is he likes to get well-to-do students and effectively collect them, uh, like Pokemon, uh, where <laughs> he, well, I, I know real people who, who do things similar to this. They gain famous acquaintances, uh, so that they can name drop. And he does this as kind of a a way to make students better, but also to be a, an influential person. Uh, on top of this, he he likes to get valuable things, uh, whether it's illegally obtained uh, herbs or poisons or or whatnot. And you come to find out that while he he's a Slytherin, he's not a bad guy. He is definitely odd yeah. and. He definitely has some blurred boundaries that could be better established. Um, But the point 
as the movie progresses, I'm sorry that this isn't a straight A to B to C plot for you as the viewer. <laughs> uh, watch the movie. It's much better at telling the story than I am. Um, but the, the plot for Slughorn, where we find out that he has told Voldemort this great taboo in the wizarding world. And he breaks down and he goes, please don't judge me, Harry. Even back then, you don't know what he was like. Yeah. And it's this its this moment where you feel genuinely sad for this man, even though this man probably helped the main antagonist of the series gain a great deal of power and commit horrible, horrible acts. Right. Um, but moving away from Slughorn and Harry, we move over to... Uh, the plot line with Dumbledore. Dumbledore is investigating this while simultaneously chasing down leads to combat Lord Voldemort. Um, if the names are confusing you, it's okay. Just watch the movies. <laughs> movies do a better job. Um, moving over to Ron's plot line. Ron's plot line and Hermione's plot line kind of bounce around in that they both have a thing for each other. The movie sets up very early on that they've got a chemistry and a rapport with each other, but they can't come to grips with how to share their feelings with each other. Um, and as the movie progresses, we find out that Hermione has very deep feelings for Ron, but Ron is a typical teenage boy and he is just all about them girls. All about that. And so any girl that's willing to snog with him, uh, that's kissing for you Americans, um, is is a girl he is down to date. And, and so we get this tension of high school and all the drama that surrounds that uh, as the will they, won't they nature of Hermione and Ron's relationship plays out. Uh, all of this goes on and then we've got what I would argue is the most interesting conflict of the movie and it's Draco wrestling with this vanishing cabinet and we know that he's on assignment from Lord Voldemort we know that he has to do some unspeakable evil thing and it's the reason that Snape has been assigned the Unbreakable Vow and there is so much conflict conveyed by Tom Felton in this film. It really steals the show. He does a phenomenal job uh, throughout the film. So all of our players are traveling through the movie. It's a typical school year at Hogwarts. Um, and interacting with each other. Harry's spying on Malfoy. Malfoy catches him in the act and petrifies him. If it weren't for Luna Lovegood, Harry would have probably woken up with a broken nose back in uh, <laughs> London. Um, but he makes it to the school year okay. They travel through the year just fine. Uh, they are visited by Remus Lupin uh, and Tonks, his uh, lovely, uh, not expressed in this movie or the next wife. Um, uh, but they are they visit the Weasleys on break, and we find out that because uh, Harry's overheard that Snape has taken this vow, 
and knows that something's up and immediately starts questioning Remus. He's like, hey, what's up? Okay, he was part of the order, but he's doing this stuff to help you know who. What's going on? And they have a fight within their own organization. Hey, we can't we can't turn on everyone. We have to trust the people we can trust. And so there's this conflict of who can you trust? Uh, is he a double agent? Is he a triple agent? What's what's happening? Uh, we leave this. We go through the school years more. We go to Christmas break, and the Death Eaters attack the Weasley household, and it's one of these great tense action scenes. Uh, one of the antagonists that I wish was better fleshed out is this half man, half werewolf death eater um, that we get very little information on other than he's terrifying. I don't uh, remember him. It, it's okay. He attacks uh, Jenny and Harry out in the swamp around the Weasley household. Okay. And then the Weasley household is burned down. Um, then we just go back to school like none of this ever happened that was kind of weird that it wasn't it was totally off but at the same time if you attend a boarding school your tuition's already paid just because your house burned down are you not going to go back to you go back to where you are living and your belongings are so all of this goes down, and we reach uh, we reach the final kind of running action. Dumbledore's missions have taken a toll on him. His hands are wasting away, and we find out that there is an object that uh, needs to be secured. What that object is, we will discuss in just a moment when we come back. back was a little worried there for a second that we wouldn't be but we are (laughs) um so uh throughout the visions that we have seen of professor slughorn's past with tom riddle um we find out that this young man was manipulative and devious and very 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 cunning um and I think this was either the way they lit it or it might have been done with a visual effect. He looked like he had snake's eyes. Um, a very interesting uh, choice. Actually worked very well. Very unsettling. Um, I didn't notice that. Uh, yes, it's, it was a very subtle touch. It wasn't like slit eyes. It was very, um, very serpent-like. Uh, it might have been the uh, lighting and dilation of this film. Just, yeah. Well, uh, I didn't notice that. That would have been. I'll have to pay attention next time. Yes. So, um, we found out that some forbidden magic was taught to Tom by Professor Slughorn. Um, it was kind of muted. We couldn't hear what was going on. Eventually, Professor Slughorn gives the unaltered memory to Harry voluntarily. Um, 
and we find out that the piece of magic is something called Horcruxes. And what these are is it's putting a piece of your soul into another object. Um, and you can split your soul as many as seven times. Um, but to do this, you have to kill someone. And at this point, it is heavily implied that Tom has already murdered at least one person. Um, and he is implying that he is going to do it another six times. Um, and we find out that one of the objects that Dumbledore has been hunting is one of these Horcruxes. Now, throughout this film, we have received multiple instances where uh, various attacks are going towards Dumbledore, uh, be it a bewitched necklace around a possessed girl, uh, which seemed like something out of a horror movie, um, <laughs> or uh, a poisoned wine bottle uh, to the professor. Uh, Slughorn that was intended as a gift for uh, Professor Dumbledore. All of this going down, there is a coordinated attack going for the headmaster of Hogwarts. And Professor Dumbledore, in the meantime, is trying to take down Voldemort by taking out these Horcruxes. Because as long as any one of them survives, so will Voldemort. Mm -hmm. um, so... Harry and Dumbledore go off in search of one of these Horcruxes, and they go to this cave where there is a cursed basin. Uh, and at the bottom of this basin is a necklace. Uh, and this necklace supposedly contains one of the Horcruxes. But in order to get to it, whoever is trying to get it out has to drink poisoned water and has to drink every last drop. And so Dumbledore makes Harry promise that no matter what happens, he will make Harry will make Dumbledore drink every last drop. Um, and it's just a painful scene to watch. And by the end of the scene, Harry is pleading with Dumbledore to just drink the last bit, just drink the last bit. And even though Dumbledore is the one who asked for Harry to force him to do it, he is pleading with Harry not to have to do it yeah. at the end. And we get through this just frightening scene in this dark cave. They eventually get out, get back to Hogwarts, and Dumbledore is just drained. He's, he's come to his senses, but he is just done. He is done. Physically weak. And uh, Harry gets back. Dumbledore says, hey, go get Snape. Don't talk to anyone else. Just go. Get out of here. And as Harry leaves, Malfoy comes in and holds uh, Dumbledore at one point. Uh, even disarms him which is an important plot point to remember in oncoming films. Uh, and he is ready to kill Dumbledore, but Dumbledore talks him down. In the meantime, underneath, Harry is listening to this exchange and sees Snape. Snape puts a finger to his lips and walks upstairs. And when he walks upstairs, Dumbledore looks at Snape and says... Snape, please. And Snape casts the killing curse 
and Albus Dumbledore falls dead from the tower down below. Then the Death Eaters who are there with Malfoy and Snape go through the castle just wreaking havoc and destruction. And then just as Harry tries to attack Snape, they all escape. And Snape eventually says, hey, these spells, these potions you've been practicing all year, these are mine. How dare you try to use them against me? I'm the Half-Blood Prince. Um, kind of an underwhelming reveal, but it the fact that Harry Harry thought he had some forbidden knowledge, but he was using it against the, the person who had invented it is a good touch. Yeah. Um, what's really weird in this scene is that the Death Eaters, they've won, effectively, and they just leave. Yeah. Uh, in, you would think they would just kind of set up camp there and run it. So in the book, uh, there is a massive battle for Hogwarts mm -hmm. um, at the end of this, a climactic battle. Um, and we don't get that in the film. Uh, a, a friend told me about this, and I was like, man, that would have been really great. He goes, yeah, they didn't have the budget. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the movie ends, and... All of the witches and wizards are, are just devastated. They've, they've seen their mentor fall. He's dead. And the Death Eater Mark is over the school. And so they raise their wands and salute and cast the dark away. Uh, and the film ends. The Great Hall is no longer lit. It's shattered. It's devastated. Yeah. Harry finds out that the Horcrux that they went to get was a fake. Uh, signed by R.A.B., um, who is a character who is name-dropped in this film, but I won't tell you who it is. Um, but we end the film here at, with very little resolution. They're friends. Harry's not going to go back to school. He's going to hunt the Horcruxes. Yeah. And it's just in the same way that Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire was like The Empire Strikes Back. This very much feels like The Empire Strikes Back in that the bad guys have won. What now? Yeah. They've won a big victory. We've lost the most powerful fighter for our side. It's over. What What do we do? Where do we go from here? And so, really good movie from beginning to end. Um, very powerful, powerfully acted ironically this is daniel radcliffe's least favorite uh performance um because according to him this comes from him uh he was very checked out during the filming of this and was actually drunk during several scenes uh while they're filming there are a couple where you question whether that's the scene or not um but honestly i think he might be a little hard on himself whether he was drunk or not um his performance of this honestly is very good. Uh, he putting this up against films like uh, the prisoner of Azkaban, even the previous two goblet of fire and order of the Phoenix, he does a really good job mm -hmm. uh, as far as being a 16 year old guy trying to figure things out. Yeah. Uh, the scene where uh, he actually gets into a duel in the bathroom with uh, Malfoy and accidentally cast a curse that could very easily have killed Malfoy. The shock and just disbelief of what he's done um, just overtakes him. Yeah. Uh, and really good performance. But there's not a lot I can say about this movie. It's 
it's really good as a movie and that's what we're judging this on we're not reading the books and then watching the movies we're watching Watching. the movies and it's a really good movie um i wouldn't watch it on its own i would of course watch at the very least harry potter and the goblet of fire uh and on but i'll be honest just watch all eight uh, right now, odds are pretty good that your school is going remote. You have a work-from-home option right now, uh, more than likely. Take take two hours this week and, <laughs> and watch a Harry Potter movie. Take two hours next week. It's They're worthwhile watches. Yeah. I have a question. Yes. The Half-Blood Prince. Yes. Does that mean that Snape is half-muggle? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was my question, since, since people in the Slytherin side seem to think that you need to be full blood. Well, here's the weird thing, because even uh, Slughorn isn't very... He drops some, I'm going to use this term, casual racism, um, where he's like, Oh, your, your mother was one of my favorite students, and she was muggle-born. Yeah. And, um, but... It, it's one of those things just like racism in our own world is it's you have certain groups of people who are more overt yeah and and the people that we have seen as the main faces of Slytherin are more in that um, crowd yeah so uh, it's it's one that I'd like to say that Snape kept that part to himself, and he's a very, what's the word I'm wanting to say, a very withdrawn character in these books. We're actually going to get some revelations about him over the next couple of movies Yeah. Um, that are, that are going to change the light that you look at the character. Um, but, and... When you go back and watch the movies through those light, it actually is a consistent character. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I really like this one, um, yeah. especially watching all of these back to back to back to back. It stands up really well. Yeah. I will say at the beginning when we first met Slughorn. Yes. I want to be able to put the house back together and clean it the way Dumbledore did when he had destroyed that so, house he lived in. So you you get that that was like a distraction. He had set yeah. it up to look like he had destroyed yeah. the house so that people wouldn't come looking for him. Right. But he I'm like it wasn't actually destroyed. It wasn't. But it was a just a wave of the wand and everything just magically you would just watch it all float back up into place and. Yeah, like, but it's really cool. Yeah, but we have a Roomba, so true. Um, not the same at all, but <laughs> no, it doesn't like the kitchen floor. It doesn't mind the kitchen floor. It doesn't like the threshold to the kitchen floor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was a good one. I'm really excited for next week. We are at the final conflict, um, the final year of of the Harry Potter side of the Wizarding world. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm not sure whether we're going to do one movie or two movies uh, next week. Uh, 
I'm going to have more time off, so maybe we'll do a double feature. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I've enjoyed our time in Harry Potter. I'm ready to be done. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those things I've enjoyed the ride, but we're right here at the end and I'm yeah. like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's, do this. let's get this done. I'm, I'm ready to move on to another property. Yes. Maybe on Wednesday, if I get all my cooking caught up on whatever I'm making for Thanksgiving, then we can do double feature. Hey, we'll feel it out. I'm <laughs> off. I'm off Tuesday as well. So, uh, guys, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us next week as we go over Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one and possibly part two. Yeah. Um, it's been fun uh, sitting with you guys talking about this movie. Uh, if you enjoyed what you heard, please uh, like uh, this podcast. Give us a good rating on your podcast service of choice. Uh, if you didn't like this, uh, please unsubscribe uh, and then resubscribe and then unsubscribe and resubscribe. Just keep doing that over and over and over again uh, <laughs> on as many different devices as you can. Um and uh, don't leave any reviews. Just keep subscribing on random devices. <laughs> if you have an enemy, uh, someone you don't like, go to their phone and subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> uh, do the same thing on a computer. Uh, whatever you can. Uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, have a great week and enjoy whatever your favorite things yeah, and are. And happy Thanksgiving if and, you listen before Thanksgiving. And if you are in the United States yes, of America, United a happy Thanksgiving to you. Bye.